What is contentment and how do you acquire it? Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas and Life Over Coffee. I am very glad that you're here. I have a wonderful article that I want to share with you. It is challenging and it has challenged me to write it, the content that I do produce. Basically, they are my devotionals. It's how I think about life, God, self, others, etc. And so as I wrestle through these things and try to work them into my own soul, sometimes I find myself really challenged and convicted. And when it comes to contentment, well, that is a challenging thing because we live in such a crazy world. Sometimes contentment can be so elusive. And so I have an article here, and you're welcome to read, watch, or listen to it. There is a podcast, of course, and if you are listening to it by podcast, please subscribe to that platform, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, whichever platform it may be. Also, if you don't mind, if you would write us a review, that would be fantastic. If you watch the video on YouTube or our Rumble channels, please subscribe to those channels. And as always, share our resources with your friends. You can find the podcast and the video embedded in this article. Here's the title of it. Can't wait to get into it. The title is Contentment Comes from the Blessing of Disappointment. Let's talk about it. The question is, what is contentment and how do we acquire it? Did you know it is the gift of the person who can live very well on any point of the abundance to emptiness spectrum? That is the spectrum that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 4, where he talked about basically being content whether he had everything that he ever needed, or if he was completely depleted. And so that is the full spectrum. I call it the abundance to empty emptiness spectrum. Finding contentment does seem elusive in our frantic and distracted world. Other matters weigh in, vying to control our hearts. Many times they do win the day. Contentment becomes a memory for some of us, an old friend from another era when we when we reminisced a day where quietness at work was commonplace and the needs were few. I kind of get the idea of the the old the two old men sitting on the porch chewing tobacco or maybe uh, chewing a straw, rocking in their rocking chairs, looking out over the pasture land, really undistracted, and things were quiet, and they reminisced, and they were very content. Well, that's not the world that we live in. Now, I'm a re- I recognize that a lot of the world that we live in is because of our own self-sabotaging of our souls. Uh, we hook ourselves up to the IV of technology, and it flows through our veins 24-7, seemingly, and so I know that a lot of the distractedness that we have is what we do to ourselves, but nevertheless, uh, discontentment tends to become something from a bygone era. And so the question remains, how do you find it? Did you know contentment comes from learning how to live with everything and learning how to live with nothing at all. It goes back to the emptiness 
to abundance spectrum that I was talking about earlier. Because some people aren't content and they have virtually everything, and some people are not content and they have very little. And so as you look at the abundance to emptiness spectrum, it doesn't matter where you land on it, we should be content, and so that is the measurement. And so I want to share with you how Paul talked about it in Philippians 4. This is a familiar passage of Scripture for all of us because, well, we know we quoted, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is verse 13. But I want to look at this passage in context because you really need to run up to verse 13 and not just pull verse 13 out of the text and place it on a bumper sticker because it can be misinterpreted, misapplied, misunderstood, and we could miss out on a lot. And so, Here is the run-up to verse 13, and it's verses 11 and 12. The great apostle said this, not that I am speaking of being in need. He's not in need, and he's not talking about in need, and he tells us why. He says, for I have learned, and you're going to see this word a couple of times here. Paul learned in whatever situation I am to be content, and that is what he learned. Therefore, I want to ask the question, how did you learn, no matter where you are on the abundance to emptiness spectrum, you learn how to be content? That's magic. I want that. He went on to say in Philippians 4, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, here it is, I have learned, he said it again, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the run-up. Here it is, verse 13. Here's our great bumper sticker. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, that he had learned how to be content if he had all things and if he had nothing at all. It did not matter where Paul found himself on the spectrum. He learned the secret of life, which was to be content always. Now, in this passage, we do see that word learned twice. And Paul uses that word to describe how he figured out the secret And that's what he said, you remember, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. And so he learned the secret to life, which was to be content always. In this passage, we do see the word learned twice to describe how he figured out. And then afterward, he wrapped up his thoughts by saying he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. The all things in verse 13, in Paul's universe, it did not mean how some people use it today. Paul said that it did not matter what the circumstances were. That's what he was saying. That's the synonym to all things. He was a contented man, empty, impoverished, and without anything, or full of abundance and blessing. He was content. Now, that does raise a couple of questions, and this is the hard part of the devotion. How about me? How about you? I mean, no matter how empty you become, are you content? That is the question. 
when you lose all things, are you content? Have you learned the secret of stable contentment, whether you have all your needs aligned and in a row, or if you're on the other end of the spectrum, feeling just a little bit empty today or this year? For me, it was like a decade. Now, if you take this passage of Scripture in Philippians 4 and and pin it to the wall and then go and get this other passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, chapter 12 rather, and pin it to the wall, the first 10 verses, then you will get a sneak peek into the Lord's curriculum for teaching contentment. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Paul's double use of the word learned in Philippians, that passage punctuates the implication that he was a student in the Lord's schoolhouse. Someone was mentoring him. Paul was the learner. God was the tutor. Perhaps you remember when your teacher used a ruler on the back of your hand to remove brain clutter, a thorn in the flesh is what we're talking about in in 2 Corinthians 12. Now, I suppose if your elementary days began after the 70s, then maybe you don't remember that. But I do remember my thorn in the flesh. Her name was Mrs. Verla Griffin, and she is my second grade teacher, and she would use that ruler on the back of my hand. It was similar. It was akin to a thorn in the flesh because sometimes I did have brain clutter, and she would come along to humble me. Now, admittedly, it didn't work. God used something else several years later. But this is how Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. He says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. God's ruler on the back of the hand, well, it was a thorn in Paul's flesh. I am not sure what that was. There's a lot of speculation. You can Google it. It really doesn't matter. I mean, there's a lot of things that are left unsaid. I have questions for Paul. This is one of them. It's it's not a primary question. I have some primary questions, but we can ask when we get there. But the point is, is that God was the tutor. Paul was the student. He needed to learn a lesson. And the hope was, as we see in this text, that his tutor was going to remove the temptation of pride that had ensnared Paul. The temptation to pride, it was a side effect of the abundance goodness of God's favor in his life, specifically the revelations the Lord opened up to him. Paul talked about it as conceited. I'm using the word pride, and the reason I'm using the word pride is because pride is a a basket word. Every sin is sourced in pride. You can think about pride as being a a bucket, a big container, and every sin fits within that container. It is the construct in every manifestation of sin. It does not matter what the sin is. It is, or it grows out of, it's rooted in, that sin is rooted in pride. Now, in Paul's situation, 
His pride manifestation was conceit because he was living in the abundant goodness of God's favor on his life. He he was living in prosperity, you could say. And Paul failed the prosperity test. And rather than finding contentment in the blessings, and that is a thing, and perhaps you have read, I'm sure you have, or you have heard of people who really just had the world by the tail. I mean, they had everything that you could possibly want, and they were not contented. We see this in uh, some of our stars, our, our Hollywood-famed people that we that we like, that we enjoy so much. They, they have the world by the tail, but they are not content. Well, Paul was in a similar place. Now, it was a different kind of having the world by the tail. He, he, he was he was enjoying the abundant goodness of God's favor specifically through all the revelations that God has given him Paul's pride called the Lord into action why because God loved him too much to let pride overcome his student now that's something that we really need to think about because it's counterintuitive I'm sure you saw it Sometimes the difficulties in our life are orchestrated by God because he loves us too much to allow us to persist down the path that we're heading down. And so in Paul's situation, God moved into action because Paul was conceited. His pride called the Lord into action. Why? Because God loved Because God loved him. And it's important for us to understand that we, when we find ourselves in that difficult moment in life, the thing that we really need to consider is that God loves me. Now, we want to try to discern what does this love look like and why is this love being manifested this way? What is the message? Will I learn? Paul went from the abundance of prosperity the revelations, the abundant revelations that were given to him, to the poverty of pain, a thorn in the flesh, and he did not like it. And we all know he prayed three times, God, please take it away. We also know that God would not. Paul had not learned the lesson. And so the Lord began to empty him of his conceit. I have been there, and I would imagine that you have too that you were riding high on the wave of blessedness, and sometimes it can get away from us, and we can forget. It's the Nebuchadnezzar effect, where he looked out on all that he had and thought that it was something that he had conjured or contrived or, or built. And a few moments later, well, he was eating grass with the beast of the field. Out of inexhaustible kindness of God... He sent a messenger of Satan to buffet the great apostle with a thorn in the flesh. Now, isn't this an excellent time for you and me to maybe pause and reflect? When your life is not going well, do the problems amplify contentment? I mean, something is amplified. And so if you're on that end of the abundance to emptiness spectrum, If you're on the empty side, the poverty side, the impoverished side, and life is not going well, it amplifies something. When the heat comes into our lives, it magnifies, it draws out whatever is in our hearts. And so the question is, when your life is not going well, do the problems amplify? 
contentment. When something or someone is harassing you, there was a thorn in the flesh by Satan sent specifically by God to harass Paul. Does contentment settle your soul when you're discomfited in a moment that you have a peace that passes all understanding? It is a transcending peace, a transcendent rest. And when that difficult moment, that thing comes into your life, you start transcending. You start rising above it all because contentment is the fuel that elevates you. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, and this is really the secret. When he finished this little talk about the thorn in the flesh, and he, when he made his summary statement, he made his summary statement in 1210, he says, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now, that is the bumper sticker. And I think that, as I've said before, that is the secret to life. It really is. There is a, a gospel echo in this very short but potent sentence because it was the weakness of God that showed us the strength of God. It was the foolishness of God that showed us the wisdom of God. And Paul is echoing echoing the gospel message here. He learned the lesson. God brought him to a place of of impoverishedness, of emptiness, and as he wrestled with God about that, realizing that God was never going to remove this thorn. As far as I know, he never did. And this is the question, one of the questions that I want to ask Paul. What was the wrestling like? How long did it take you to come to this conclusion after receiving the news that God is not going to take this thorn away from you? However long it took, and whatever the wrestling entailed, Paul concluded with this profound statement, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The statement of the contented after spending time with the Lord, Paul learned that true contentment did not come from who he was. True contentment did not come from what he had. True contentment is measured by how he related to God. Now stop. You have to stop right there. You have to think about that sentence. That is probably the sentence in, the, in this entire article because that is the key that unlocks the door. True contentment is measured by how you or I, we relate to God, not by what we have, not by our identity, unless we're talking about our identity in Christ. After wrestling with the Lord in the crucible of disappointment, Paul came out the other end with a fantastic life mission statement. When I am weak, then I am strong. This response to not getting what he wanted is impressive. Paul learned how to guard his heart against the temptations of abundance, and he learned how to protect his heart against the temptations of nothingness, the full spectrum. What he learned reminded me of something that Job said a few thousand years earlier. It's in 121. Here's the statement. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We come into this world bum naked, and we will go out bum naked. 
And in between our nakedness is a, a dash. It's a dash on a tombstone. It's a dash between two dates. And we, we come in naked, we go out naked, and our life is just a vapor, just a dash between two dates. And Job recognized that I have nothing. And there is an element of contentment here, even though we know Job later, uh, his contentment turned to consternation. But he says here, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. At this point, blessed be the name of the Lord. Whether he gives, whether he takes away, whether it is a life of abundance or a life of poverty. Paul did not wrap his identity or his longings in what he had or or what he did not possess. His standing in society mattered not. You could place Paul anywhere on the spectrum, and contentment would be his theme. God's acceptance of him and rulership over him was more important than the identity statements of plenty or poverty. Whatever those things mean to most anyone else, they meant nothing to Paul because he was more interested in his relationship with God. People may be impressed by what you have or who you are, but God is not, unless it's your identification with him, of course. Paul wanted what God wanted, and Paul trusted God enough to know that wherever he found himself in the Lord's world, wherever on that spectrum from abundance to emptiness, it was the right spot because God is good. Here's a couple of examples of, of folks who do not have contentment. One is the abundant striver. The other one is the impoverished striver, looking at the spectrum again of abundance to emptiness. The abundant striver, a person will strive to have more because he wraps his identity in what he has or how his community perceives him. Perhaps he enjoys the power of reputation, and by maintaining a carefully crafted representation of himself that he pushes out into the public space where people can adore that person that he has carefully crafted, he can procure man-made contentment. But it is just that. It is man-made contentment, and it will never satisfy no matter what or how many or how much the abundance is. His self-reliance efforts are hard. He has to have the right car, the right house, a certain amount of money. Others must esteem him in a way he esteems himself. This is the abundant striver. He's finding contentment by striving for whatever these things are. It could be material blessings, as I'm talking about here, or it could be the hidden idolatries of the heart. As I mentioned, power, the power of reputation is what he is really after. And there are other ways to talk about and identify an abundant striver, and perhaps that would be a good exercise for you to think about how those who create a world where they have virtually everything that they want and they are not, they're not happy. Or in context of this, they're not content. And then you have the impoverished striver. The irony here is that this person is just like the abundant striver, except he has not reached his highest aims. He can't find contentment in his life because of what he does not possess, stuff, desires, dreams, hopes, and other wishes from his list. The discontentment of unfulfilled quest has trapped him, ensnared him. He is a caught person. He believes he will be happy if fill in the blank. 
fill in the blank, and then I will be happy. I want to be like the abundant striver, but I don't have that, and so I'm the impoverished striver. Of course, the problem is that the Lord is not in the blank. If the Lord was in that blank, I would be happy if I had the Lord. Then he would have contentment like Paul because he has learned whatever condition that he is in to be content because he's more interested in his relationship with God. Paul was zealous for the things of God. Content in whatever means the Lord chose. If God gave him a thorn so the power of Christ would shine through him, Paul was content. If God gave him great revelations, Paul was content. He was a God-impassioned striver who learned how to have all things or nothing at all. He said it this way in Philippians 4, 12 through 13, I know how to be brought low. I, I know how to abound the spectrum again in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, he did say it this way, for the sake of Christ then, you see the connection here, it's all about how he relates to God, and it doesn't matter where he is on the spectrum. Here in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, for the sake of Christ, how I relate to God, how I relate to Christ, because of Christ. He's a God-impassioned man. For the sake of Christ, then I am content. With weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. And then he finishes with the great statement, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. The title of this article is Contentment Comes from the Blessing of Disappointment. It is a counterintuitive message. I hope that you could hear the message, not just hear it, see it, but also apply it. And with that in mind, I do want to ask you a few questions for you to think about, great questions to talk uh, to somebody with. Question number one, I have seven. What is contentment to you? A great writing project. It doesn't take a lot, just a few sentences, a short paragraph. Would you write out what is contentment to you? It'll be different for the next person. The, the second question, are you content? And the follow-up is why or why not? And so first talk about what contentment is. And then are you content? Why or why not? Maybe another follow-up would be, is your definition of contentment biblical? Because some people would say, I would be content. It goes back to filling in the blank. I would be content if, and God is not in the blank, I would want to say that, no, you won't be content. You think you will be content. Uh, but there was a million zillion people who have gone before you who seemingly had everything in the world, and they were not content. What is contentment to you? Are you content? Number three, how fluent are you in understanding the differences between needs and desires? This is a discussion worth having. Needs are essential. You can't live without them. Desires are optional. Do you have desires that have become needs? Because sometimes our desires can morph into needs, and now they're steroidal, and we have to have them when in reality we don't need them. If your desires have morphed into needs, then what must you change if you have morphed desires that have pushed contentment aside. Number four, when you don't get what you want, how do you respond? 
And maybe you can think about this more episodically as a, I mean, as a pattern rather than episodically. I mean, you could be at the traffic light and you did not get what you want because you were cut off or somebody waved to you with one finger. And that could be an episode and you didn't respond appropriately. Well, you want to take care of that, of course. You want to repent minimally to God. But in a pattern kind of way, when you typically, generally do not get what you want, how do you respond? And what do these responses reveal about where you are at this moment with the Lord? Number five, will you talk about, uh, talk about discontentment and, and how it reveals an idol in someone's life? If a person is, discontentment, is discontented, then they have filled in the blank with something other than God, and that something is an idol. And then as you talk about how they filled in the blank with the wrong thing, talk about how it's God's mercy for them to see the discontentment as God's mercy. And then the follow-up would be, how would you respond to them? How would you counsel this person? And so you would want them to see that that discontentment happens because they have an idol in the blank. That's what they want, and they won't be happy until they have that. And then you want them to see how the discontentment is a mercy from God. God is stirring up the nest. He's stirring up the heart. And then it would be good to discuss how you would counsel such a person. Number six, if you were 95 years old, looking back on where you are today, what would you like to tell your younger self? How would you counsel you in context of what I'm talking about here? And then number seven, who do you know that is content? I hope you know somebody that's content. This would be a good discussion. Why do you think they are? content. Perhaps having a conversation with them would be insightful and instructive. Perhaps it would be transformative. I'm so glad that you have joined me for Life Over Coffee. The article that I just shared with you is contentment comes from the blessing of disappointment. God's mercy acting in us because he wants to change us. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.